This is the Mental Debriefing Podcast with your hosts, Peter Tam and Leslie Q. Okay, this is the Mental Debriefing Podcast, and today's date is June 12, 2018. Can think about that for a little bit. Yes, huh? it's very difficult. With me today, my name is Peter Tam. With me, we have Leslie Q, and which is my co-host, and... We have a special guest today. Hello, I'm Frank. I'm Leslie's husband. Very lucky to be her husband. <laughs> I hate him to say that. Off to a good start. Yes, wonderful. Um, so today, um, we are going to be doing some MMA talk, and we're going to be discussing some current events, but... Our uh, main objective today is to uh, do a review of this uh, book by Jordan Peterson called The uh, Twelve Rules for Life, An Anecdote to Chaos. And this is a very, uh, it's been, this book has been on the Amazon bestseller charts for several months, almost a year now. So it's it's been very popular. Yeah, and I thought it would be, um... I, I thought we would just discuss um, how we were introduced to Jordan Peterson. So, how did you hear about Jordan Peterson? Um, well, I am a listener of the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, and Jordan Peterson was a guest on the podcast, and he said a lot of uh, philosoph- philosophical ideas. It was very the the level of his speaking was very high up, so I decided this guy is smart. He knows what he's talking about, so I decided to uh, pay attention to what he has to say. Yeah, he is very smart. He's very articulate. Uh, I think it's important to also note that he's a clinical psychologist. He has quite a few videos on YouTube. Um, I also heard about it through the Joe Rogan experience, and... Similarly, I thought he was um, very articulate and he made some really great points, but he surprisingly is a very controversial figure. Um, he's actually from Canada, and I'm, I guess I was a little shocked to find out that he was, that his ideas were so controversial. I, I don't know, and Frank, what about you? I know you also heard about him. I love listening to him. He sounds like an incredibly reasonable man and very, like you guys are saying, incredibly intelligent. But he seems very fair at the same time, too. And it seems the reason that he has gotten so popular is because of the fact that he is not willing to call people by their surnames. And he has good reason for that. And I think that it's become a controversy because they're labeling him as something that he's not. And he's not going to be loud, he's not very boisterous, he's just very calm, and just mm-hmm. wants to have a conversation, and he's incredibly smart. So I think people get frustrated when they hear him speak, and he makes complete sense. So they just jump to, like, well, you're a racist, or you just don't like gays, or whatever the topic is, or whatever they want to say. Mm-hmm. So that's what it becomes controversial at times. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate the fact that he's willing to have a different dialogue with different people. And I think that's really important for us as a society to 
be able to have an open dialogue with people who have different opinions from us respectfully. I think that's really important, um, which which is what I appreciate about uh, Joe Rogan's podcast is that he's willing to have that dialogue with different people. He doesn't necessarily agree with them, um, but he has a conversation with them, and I I I am all for that. I'm a huge proponent of that. Okay, so regarding the book, did you guys, Leslie, now, did you have any favorite quotes regarding the book? We'll, um, we'll talk about how we feel about the book overall once we're done discussing this portion. Yeah, first, so we have 12 different principles, and the first one is stand up straight with your shoulders back. And so the quote that stood out to me was, to stand up straight with your shoulders back is to accept the terrible responsibility of life with eyes wide open. It means deciding to voluntarily transform the chaos of potential into the realities of habitable order. It means adopting the burden of self-conscious vulnerability and accepting the end of the unconscious paradise of childhood where finitude and morality are only dimly comprehended. It means willingly undertaking the sacrifices necessary to generate a productive and meaningful reality. So I really liked that quote because life isn't perfect and we have to accept that there, we're going to encounter hardships and we have to be able to be resilient and overcome those hardships and that's just part of life and a lot of people they become victims to their realities and you can't let yourself become a victim of your realities and you have to be able to overcome those hardships. I agree. Anything else? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, for myself, um, I do have uh, some quotes that I enjoy. Uh, rule 2 is uh, treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. The, uh, Nietzsche, on page 63, it said, Nietzsche once said, he whose life has a why can bear almost any how. Um, so this is regarding um, having responsibilities, which I feel is important. If you have a why in life, you can overcome a lot of, uh, a lot of negative stuff. You, you can overcome a lot of challenges in your life if you have a reason for doing it. That's why a lot of parents, um, you know, they, they live further away in a safer neighborhood from their job and they endure a longer commute so their kids can go to a better school district. That's why athletes can endure, like MMA athletes, they can endure crazy weight cuts because they, they have a goal of, uh, making weight and being a champion at a certain weight. So all, all those items, I think if you have a goal in mind, it's easier to proceed and to, to win. <laughs> it's easier to win in life if you have a goal and if you have a why, why you're doing something instead of simply, um, oh yeah, I'm going to work out today. Well, what's your goal for working out? You're just going to work out for the sake, for sake of working out. Whereas if you're like running, you know, if you're like, a, oh, I'm going to sign up for a half marathon, so I'm training towards a half marathon, then it's easier to 
wake up every day and go running because you have a goal because you want to achieve a certain length and achieve a race be race ready whereas if you just want to run for your health it's it's harder because you don't really have a tangible why so that's mine Leslie you're saying it makes those goals or the sacrifices that you need to complete in order to sustain those goals uh, a lot more acceptable so if you're talking about like a race like a marathon then you're gonna have to run a lot you're gonna have to like you said wake up early because if you have a nine to five type of job maybe you're not going to have any time to run later on and your only time is in the morning so if somebody says you want this goal well you're gonna have to run starting maybe at three miles and then keep increasing it you might encounter some shin splints some really bad days where you're sore now if you just see it on paper like no i don't want to do any of that i just want to run but in order to attain that goal like we're talking about running you have to go through those sacrifices and you're right who wants to sit in traffic for hours but you know a lot of parents and a lot of people do it because they want to live in nicer communities so i think sacrifices are incredibly important which which is for because they have an external wise not just for themselves it's also for their kids yeah think about all the things that people are willing to do just for their kids all the sacrifices they do and Peter, that was from principle number two, right? Yes. Like someone you're responsible for helping. <clears throat> Correct. Um, and uh, did you have any other meaningful ideas? Yeah, I, I really also um, enjoy, well, I don't really think I all, <laughs> all of it. There's some, um, yeah, he makes a lot of biblical references, which I don't necessarily enjoy but he has some good points but a lot of people struggle with treating themselves kindly and a lot of people don't realize that the the way that we treat ourselves are in our dialogue affects our physiology so if you're critical of yourself it actually um incre like it increases cortisol which can negatively affect you and have negative health implications as opposed to being compassionate with yourself and treating yourself like you would a kind friend, which is something that I believe we should all strive for, is treating ourselves like we would treat someone that we really care about. And mm, that's, that's interesting because for a lot of people, it's easier to externalize. Um, it's like It's actually easier for some people to treat their kids better than they treat themselves. That's why... Um, you know, they'll, they'll feed their kids, like, the best food, then they'll eat the leftovers. Is your point that we need to treat ourselves as well as our kids? Yes, yeah, as well as our kids, as well as our, our pets. A lot of people treat their pets better than they treat themselves, like he points out in this chapter. But, yeah, treating yourself like you would treat your kids, your, your friends, um, and taking care of yourself. And I did a little bit of research for one of my uh, graduate classes, I, because I work at an eating disorder facility, we have uh, patients with comorbid diagnoses like depression, uh, PTSD, and so you have to be able to adapt and work with those individuals. And what we teach our patients is to be compassionate with themselves because a lot of them want this perfect recovery. They don't, they feel really down when they have slip ups, but that's going to happen. And so we prepare them 
um, so they know how to deal with those slip-ups and how to be compassionate with themselves. So I did a little bit of research on self-compassion, and it shows that people who are more compassionate with themselves are more likely to engage in healthy behaviors because they care about themselves, so it makes sense. But a lot of people think the opposite, that they need to be critical of themselves in order to motivate themselves, but that's not the case. Hmm, that's interesting. A lot of people run on the... Uh... Negative energy, which is you need to be critical. Yeah, like you know, you're not, yeah, like I, you know, you need to be better. You're you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You need to work harder, and that just doesn't really work. Not for everybody. Well, yeah. So sometimes um, people respond well to because that's how they grew up. Like their parents are screaming, yelling at them. So mm-hmm. when someone's gentle and and nice to them they respond less well versus when someone's yelling at them drill sergeant style then they'll they'll respond better like that yeah i guess it just depends on what it is like i think for coaching wise leslie and i have we respond differently to to different things i remember we were on a run once and i was trying to motivate you Mm -hmm. and i was almost like yelling at you but not in a mean way but it just you don't respond well to that type of of motivation as you can say do you respond well to that? Like, if I'm being critical of you, if I'm saying you're not doing things the way I want you to do them, or you can do better, I don't think you respond well to that either. You're right. It, it depends on what it is. Like, sports-wise, I've had both coaches that are don't say anything mm-hmm. and are just very mellow and every once in a while, you know, correct you. And I've had the complete opposite, you mm-hmm. know, telling me I'm fucking doing something wrong or I'm going to get you off the court, stuff like that. And I responded better to that coach because I didn't want to get yelled at. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do it right. Yeah. And I felt like this must mean something to him if he's yelling at me. So it just depends on the person. And having coached kids, mm-hmm. like some will just completely shut down if you like raise your voice at them or tell them that they messed up. Mm-hmm. So I look at it as like, well, there was a good quote. If, if your kid's not coachable, then he's not hireable. So I think that just depends on, on the, the child and how they respond to how they're being coached and you as a coach you have to realize that and you have to adjust your your way and i think that resonates also with with parents Mm. you know having kids which we don't have any so we don't know that experience but seeing it in in my work and stuff you know usually the parents that are on their on their kids Mm -hmm. tend to get more out of them Mm -hmm. because they expect more asian parents Patient parents, right. Uh, so, and there's also the ones that almost push their kids too much and break their kids. Yeah, there has to be that balance. I don't know if, uh, yeah, I, I, I think we're just going to agree to disagree on this subject. Well, I, I want to bring it back to the, because um, sometimes the man treats the girlfriend much better than he treats himself. And that's very Pretty common. Peter. That's very common in the dating world, because you know the guy has a limited budget. He's on a date, whatever, and then the uh, the female orders a lot of expensive stuff. Then the guy <laughs> has to save money and order a salad. So that's that's a common occurrence. And then there's a lot of experiences that men they don't really want to do, but um, you know for. For maintenance purposes, you have to go to museums and do all this 
stuff that a lot of I personally love museums, but I know a lot of guys. That Me do. too. They're they're not a big museum people, so there's a lot of things that uh, you have to do to maintain a relationship that um, the guy quote unquote uh, is treating the the female better. Compromise. Yeah, compromise. But you're right. During that courting phase, then you might do things that you normally wouldn't. Yeah, there is a certain power dynamic regarding um, who has power at certain points of the relationship. But ideally, once once you're in a long-term relationship, it should be a 50-50 balance. Frank, do you or have you had similar experiences with women that you treat them better than you treat yourself? I can't say that I have. <laughs> Okay. I just don't think that's necessarily fair. Uh, and I guess it just depends on what you're talking about. But, like, for for us, I, I've done things that I normally wouldn't do, uh-huh. you know, it, it, if it was just me out by myself. Yeah. You know, to go to certain museums and stuff like that. Like, that's, that's your thing. But it's a different experience <laughs> for me, and I just have to not necessarily accept it, but just know that that's part of it. Just like, same thing with you, with sports. You know that I love sports. Mm-hmm. And you probably wouldn't have gone to Chargers games. Like I got season tickets last year and kind of made you go with me a couple times. But <laughs> it's a different experience for you, mm-hmm. you know. And, and it's better to do it together. Okay. Yeah, and, and I've, we've had positive experiences when we've been to both either sporting events or also museums and stuff. Yeah. Okay. I feel like we're kind of getting off topic. We definitely are. Yes. For chapter or principle number two, so. Um, continue on. Um, principle number three, make friends with people who want the best for you. Initial thoughts on that chapter, Peter? Well, I think that, I mean, that makes perfect sense. You want to make friends with people who are not tearing you down or demotivating you or are telling you that you can't do something you want people, you want to surround yourself with people who are going to motivate you and who are going to bring the best out of you. And that's just great general advice for life. Yeah. Um, have there been, have you ever had um, an experience where you had to uh, part ways with someone because you noticed that they were bringing you down, and they weren't really... Well, sometimes I've, I've been the uh, negative influence that people try to veer away from. I mean, I, I grew up in, you know, bringing it back to previously, in, in a household where it's a lot of screaming, it's a lot of yelling. That's the type of discipline that I respond to. And, uh, you know, we, it's, it's always... we. We, as my brother and myself, we get compared to other family members, other Asians, um, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, how our grades aren't good enough, all that kind of stuff. So, um, there's, there's, there was a lack of positive types of reinforcements. It's always, you don't compare to the other type of person. So then, when I grew up, and then in my social circle, then... I, because that's all I knew, then, I mean, it took a long time just for me to, like, give a compliment, and then someone says thank you, mm-hmm. or someone gives a compliment to me, 
because that's that like never happened. <laughs> so so it took a long time for me just to learn that when someone gives you a compliment, I have to say thank you. Because previously it was like someone gives me a compliment and then I just like make an excuse. It's like, oh yeah, that's a nice shirt today, and then I would make some excuse. Oh yeah, I got it on sale or whatever. Mm-hmm. Something that's totally irrelevant that to diminish their compliment mm-hmm. instead of just saying thank you and moving on. I bring myself down, oh, I got it on sale, blah, 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 blah. So it's, it's irrelevant, but uh, that's, the t- that's the type of environment I grew up in. And then I, I um, kind of became that to my friends. So <laughs> I don't know how many friendships I lost or whatever, but um, now I've, I've grown as a human being, hopefully. So I tend to try to be more positive. Also, when you're in re- a relationship, um, y- you learn... To be more positive because you have to otherwise it just goes down in flames I've been pretty lucky I guess I've had really good friends um, growing up I had uh, or I do have a big family so I always had cousins and we all our, our families always got along really well so growing up almost into my teens I had really positive role models and also just positive family members around me a little different than that. Uh, but I know what you're talking about as far as like higher expectations. I wouldn't call myself uh, like the black sheep by any means of my family, but you know, I had cousins that were like the valedictorian or like, always got like really good grades. And I think that's kind of what pushed me to sports sometimes is that like I felt like at least I could do that well because I didn't think I'd be a good student. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, everything worked out. And I think my dad. And my parents or my mom are proud of me, like where I'm, where I'm at. But I get what you're saying with those high expectations. It is a lot. You know, my dad when he immigrated here, um, he was a doctor in his previous country. So he, I think he had those high expectations for me, educationally, and I don't think that I necessarily met them. Um, but there was a lot of other lessons that I learned along the way. So it it does. I think I have high expectations for my friends, and, you know, the older that I get, I, I don't tolerate, you know, negative people, and I wouldn't have anybody around circle my, or circle of friends that are, are negative in any way. Um, what qualities do you look for in a friend? Reasonableness, honesty. Uh, dependability, those are all huge things, mm-hmm. you know, and doing what I do as far as, as, far as work, um, somebody that I guess understands what it is that I do, uh, being a police officer, so that's important to me, and it's okay, PT, <laughs> no big deal, so, you know, growing up, I had to kind of let go of some, some friendships when I got into police academy, and it wasn't because I wanted to. Uh, the main thing was that was my goal, and like we talked about earlier about sacrifices, so I had to sacrifice those things temporarily and got back to, to those friendships uh, later on. So I think that everything was geared towards that because of being a cop and having bad days off, and the only other people that I knew that had those days off were other cops, so mm-hmm. I tend to hang out with a lot of cops, uh, and it wasn't until later on that I was kind of able to reconnect with uh, friends. But I've always maintained a good friendship with those people from high school and the big big thing for me is again being honest 
uh, not being shady and like not trying to swindle me or you know doing what they're supposed to be doing and the ones that I'm closest to are the guys that I lived with throughout college and we've always maintained a good friendship communicated, been honest with each other, hang out, and it's, oh, and the other thing is being able to make fun of somebody and not, like, take it too personal. Because mm-hmm. I joke around a whole lot, and some people get a little sensitive, but these people that know me uh, know that I'm dependable, too, and I know that they're dependable, so that's always really important to me. Alright, moving on to principle number four, compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Not to some, not to who someone else is today. I love this principle because we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people, and that usually brings us down because we feel again like we're not good enough. And so, if you're comparing yourself to who you were yesterday, I feel like, I feel like it's a better measure of whether or not you're progressing in life and moving forward and uh, attaining your goals. In this way, you're not comparing yourself to someone else who is in a completely different situation than you, who has completely different circumstances, um, and we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to other people. We should just be focusing on ourselves and focusing on whether or not we're getting better at the things that we're working on. Yeah, this kind of relates to what we were just talking about regarding um, comparisons and comparing comparing ourselves to our classmates, whether it's in sports, academics, whatever. Uh, one of the good quotes that I've uh, that I highlighted here on this chapter, uh, much of happiness is hope no matter how deep the underworld in which that hope was conceived. And then the previous sentence, I know I'm reading this out of order, perhaps happiness is always to be found in the journey uphill and not the fleeting sense of satisfaction awaiting at the next peak. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it goes a lot into our career and how we spend our time. We need a, um, although what we do may be drudgery and there's a lot of daily challenges every day we go to work, if we have a sense of satisfaction at the end of the day um, during that process, then that's where we can be happier versus um, just uh, going to a job that's dead end and you have no hope. You need to enjoy the process, even though you need to enjoy the pain of the process, even though pain is painful. So <laughs> it's kind of a sadistic type of, uh, um, what, what's that word? Masochistic. Masochistic, yes. Yeah, yes. No, I agree. I like that quote as well. It's important to enjoy the small victories and recognize the small victories along the way. When um, throughout my journey of becoming a registered dietitian, there's been so many great moments. I've met so many great people throughout this journey, um, and it's been. I mean, obviously, it's been really difficult, and it's been. Um, a lot of sleepless nights worrying about things, but I've definitely enjoyed the process along the way, and it's been very um, meaningful. So. Yeah, there's um, on the page 96, it talks about the snowball effect, um, which is um, 
basically if if you mess up on one day then you mess up but then but then you have to then you learn and then the next day you do something better mm-hmm. and uh, do that for three years and your life will be entirely different um, basically, basically your your baseline can keep going higher and higher so let's say you know I live in a uh, in a house that sometimes I don't upkeep to perfection if um, <laughs> You need to set some goals, like, oh yeah, make your bed every day, uh-huh. I, then that's the first goal, you do that for a week, and then you do, a, then you can, oh, make a bed, and I'm going to wash my dishes every night, then you can keep building and building, and once you achieve that, oh yeah, I'm going to clean up my uh, backyard once a week, and then, be, because once you do one, you have courage that you can do more goals and you can take on more challenges because you feel better about yourself. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of snowball type things that you can do. Yeah. And you kind of also touched on um, learning from like your mistakes and learning from failures. A lot of people are really um, worried about failing, right? And it's, it can be like very um, traumatic. And I think we should embrace those failures because we can learn so much from those moments and so it's something that I'm working on is just being able to embrace the failures and what can I learn from this experience and I learn more from when I fail than from when I succeed absolutely and I think people are scared to just do that is to put themselves out there mm-hmm. uh, even if they do fail like what's going to happen right you know, are people going to laugh at them or are they going to feel more down but you're right, you put yourself out there and just realizing, I think it's important to have attainable goals, mm-hmm. not thinking that, you know, you're going to be at the best at something and understanding I'm probably going to fail, I'm probably going to mess this up really bad, but mm-hmm. like Peter's saying, that small progression gets you to the point where you're feeling comfortable and then just realize that one of those days where you're feeling comfortable, you're going to be down again or you're going to mess something up again. Uh, and that bringing it back to sports for me, that sports was incredibly important for me because growing up I was always so shy. I was always really tight, or really tall and was always made fun of quite a bit. So I started playing sports and it increased my confidence. And the more that I played sports, the more confident that I got. Um, and I realized I was somewhat okay at basketball. And then I was trying to challenge myself at other different sports. That's always been big for me. So a lot of times when I think about things, I always think about it in, in a sports mentality because it means so much to me and I love sports. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I could, I could live without uh, either watching sports, playing sports, because it's really helped me develop who I am now. Mm-hmm. Okay, Leslie, you have another quote that you'd like to discuss? Yes, so another quote that stood out to me was you must determine where you are going in your life because you're because you cannot get there unless you move in that direction random wandering will not move you forward it will instead disappoint and frustrate you and make you anxious and unhappy and hard to get along with and then resentful and then vengeful and then worse be precise with your speech so the reason this resonated with me, as we've been mentioning, mentioning throughout the podcast, is making sure that you have a purpose in life. Um, 
that way you know where to concentrate your efforts and what to do and you're not lost and you don't feel like you don't have a purpose because that's so important for everyone is to have a purpose in life and and know what to do and how to get to wherever it is that you want to go and also be precise with your speech is something that I have a difficult time with sometimes is just um, sometimes we talk in, I talk in circles especially when uh, Frank and I are having certain discussions and sometimes you can just say something with a few words like you don't have to uh, like I'm doing right now where it's just like trying to figure out like the right words to say so figuring out what you want to say first and then saying it precisely uh, and to the point. I agree, people's attention spans are much less now, and it takes a lot of effort to uh, listen to like a long podcast or a long, watch a long video. So get to the point, get things quickly um, communicated, don't stutter like I do and do a bunch of nons nonsensical sounds. That's why it's important to go to like Toastmasters and other clubs where mm -hmm. it helps in develop your speech, because not everyone's like a natural order or a natural speaker it takes work and it's something that you can practice you can work on and unfortunately i don't put enough effort into it but it is something that can be developed the tongue is the only instrument that can get sharper with use as they always like to say so and that's one of the reasons why i wanted to do this podcast with you because i want to develop that skill uh, we're kind of struggling on what to say and how to say it and we're putting ourselves out there and being vulnerable but that's okay because we're learning from this and uh, we can only get better. Right. I mean, that's just like we've been talking about, it's, it's challenging yourself, putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation and it's going to get better as you go. Yes, I agree. Alright, so moving on to MMA. Oh, I have uh, one, one final quote oh, regarding sorry. the book. Um, so the latter portions of the book um, it deals a lot with parenting and specifically it talks about uh, Jordan Pearson talks about his daughter and she had some uh, health issues regarding her joints and there was a lot of challenging times as a parent and they talk about Superman. <laughs> he talked about Superman a lot regarding... Um, he wasn't a great superhero because he got more and more powerful as time went on. And then they found out when he was invincible, people stopped liking Superman. So they had to introduce different types of kryptonite, different types of uh, villains, all this kind of stuff to make him weaker. So there is a struggle. So there is conflict. Because if you can do everything, then what's the point of the story, right? Um, so on page 347 there's a quote which is uh, perhaps you might start noticing this when you love someone it's not despite their limitations it's because of their limitations it's because of their limitations of course it's complicated yeah, um, yeah it, it goes back to the whole thing regarding relationships and your children and all this kind of stuff. Your children aren't per perfect. Your wife, your husband, they're not perfect. You need to decide what you can tolerate in life. 
Yeah. And I think there's a beauty in seeing someone overcome hardship and difficulties and see them get stronger in certain ways. I know that I witnessed that in my relationship with Frank. He has had to overcome physical difficulties and that has made me appreciate and respect him more. So I think that's that can be a very um, beautiful experience to witness. It is, and I think on both ends. So I think that well, what you're talking about is, is my back. I've had a herniated disc for a number of years, and it's prevented me or limited me from doing a number of things. So when that happens, it's incredibly depressing. You know, not be able to walk or the pain that you feel in your lower back. Um, and Leslie's been there by my side helping me out, so that's a beautiful thing uh, to have somebody there to motivate you and also take care of you. So that's been, that's been really nice. And on the other side though, like, I don't want her to see me like that either. I don't want her to see me almost like, I wouldn't say vulnerable, but, but in pain, I don't want her to worry. So it's motivating me to also get better and do things to try to prevent me from, from having these uh, these issues with my like that. Yeah, true love. <laughs> okay, now Leslie, um, out of five stars, what would you give Jordan Peterson's book? I would give it three stars. Uh, I think all of his principles are insightful and, and they're they're helpful, right? It's not helpful. But I don't appreciate or I didn't really like his biblical references. I'm not um, I'm not necessarily a religious person in the traditional sense. I do believe that there is like a higher power and um, but yeah, so I didn't really like the biblical references. Um, for myself, I'd uh, give this book Probably a three and a half out of five, um, three, between three and a half or four stars. I enjoyed the biblical references. Um, I had no problem. I had no qualms regarding that. But what I did uh, not enjoy was, it is kind of um, he goes on certain tangents because there's twelve rules of life that he puts down. Then he goes on to these really long, elaborate stories that is really overarching and it's extremely broad in that in in his examples whereas i'm used to like self-help books where you can read it in like a day because the stories are light and trivial and um, easy to comprehend jordan peterson talks in a language his it's like a different level of english it's a very academic very ph philosophical yeah. So it's um, it's not it's not an easy read by any means. Uh, some of his stories are are funny, you know, like him growing up in northern Alberta. You can feel his struggles and all that. Overall, his stories weren't um, they weren't as easy to get through because he goes he makes a lot of broad examples and mm -hmm. it strays away sometimes from what the original rules were. Whereas other self help books. The, the stories tend to be a bit more relevant and more memorable, so 
I thought he was more meaningful when he interjected his professional experience as a clinical psychologist um, rather than the biblical references and his interpretation of different parts of the Bible because there were his interpretation of, of what he thought those, um, like those different uh, passages in the Bible meant. So I, I really would rather have had him interject more of his professional experience and I think that would add more validity to his book and principles. Okay, I agree. Now, uh, moving on, we can discuss there was a big uh, mixed martial arts event that uh, recently took place this Saturday. So, I think um, if you want to discuss them in order, the main card, first fight was Mike Jackson versus CM Punk. Ridiculous. <laughs> that was really hard to watch. You know what upset me the most is that Dana White got on the air and he starts talking shit about Jackson and saying that he was joking around, but he put that card in that spot. That card should have, well first of all, CM Punk should not be fighting the UFC. I don't feel like he's done anything to earn it. He's a former wrestler, WWE wrestler, that decided, screw it, I'm going to try to be in the MMA. Got demolished his first fight, Yeah. did nothing his second fight either. And what upsets me the most is that it got on the main card. That shouldn't even been on right. this UFC at all. I don't have issue with that. You don't? I think it's a slap in the face to fighters who've been doing this their whole career trying to, trying to get there. There are probably thousands of mixed martial artists way better than CM Punk that have worked harder than, than him to get to that point. And just to give that guy a shot uh, on pay-per-view, I don't think that was fair. And for him talking shit now, like, you put this there, dude. And not only that, but you kind of motivated, not motivated, but really promoted CM Punk quite a bit. If you watch the fight, they did this whole promo on how much he's been training and who he's training with and all this. Like, you don't see that for any of the undercards. You don't even know, like, where they come from. You just put him out there to fight. So, I think he's upset because he made a huge error, and I don't think we'll ever see CM Punk fight, which is good because that guy shouldn't have been out there. And it just goes to show these are all professionals they know what they're doing. Well, I mean, I, I have no issue with the placement of the card. Um, this is an idea that was floated around by Chaelson in that actually when there's a uh, UFC event, like for example this one, the 225, um, it's actually three shows. So you have the Fight Pass show, you have the FS1 prelims, and you have the pay-per-view. Sure. Um, so you can't... Uh, you kind of have to balance out the talent, so the FS1 card also has some interest, because that's actually the free card that a lot of the general public, the casual fans that don't want to pay, might be actually watching. So I have no issue that Overeem and Curtis Blades were bumped to the prelims because of that CM Punk fight. Yes, it was... Um, but nobody wanted to see CM Punk fight. It was I Chicago. Did. It was popular. White made a business decision and knew that CM Punk had a large fan base from WWE, which is sure. why he wanted to convert some of those fans to UFC fans. 
and that's why he decided to make a business decision and allow CM Punk to fight even though he knew that he wasn't up to par with these other professional fighters. That's the only reason I can think of that Dana White would make that decision. Well, I get that, but okay, so if, if it was really successful when Brock Lesnar was there, which it was. It, it, it was, but we're talking about an incredible athlete. I mean, Brock Lesnar also tried out for the Vikings and almost made that team as well, too. Like, he's just a freak of nature, right? He's huge, he's big. CM Punk is none of those things. He was huge in WWE, but let's not forget that that's all choreographed. That's not to say those guys are incredible athletes, because they are, but this is a completely different level. I'm not arguing whether or not CM Punk is an incredible athlete or not. I'm not comparing him to Brock Lesnar in that sense. I'm just saying maybe he has a large fan base. I, I don't think any one of us know whether or not he has a large fan base. So he, but he, and it seems like he did. Brock Lesnar was juiced to the gills. Do sure. you know if CM Punk had a large fan base? Yeah, well, he's from Chicago. That's why the whole thing... Because he is from Chicago, the car took place in Chicago, that's why he was placed there. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people like watching him. What do you think, and playing devil's advocate here, do you give him any credit for putting himself out there? Because it's something that we've been talking about here in the podcast, being vulnerable, putting yourself out there. That's what he did. Sure. And, and he pursued something that he felt like he was passionate about. And it didn't turn out the way that he would have hoped for. But he did put himself out there. And I guess what upsets me the most is, again, you're talking about the business decision. I don't think that he earned that spot. So he got it based off of his name recognition. Correct. Being a, a wrestler mm -hmm. and this whole business thing. And I have an issue with that. But so did Brock Lesnar. But you don't have an issue with him because he performed well and did well. You're right. And, and, and exactly. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> Slamming your hand on there. You're right, but I think that was a safer decision in that sense because Brock he was just huge. Mm -hmm. And you're right, there was there was that, that chance. But I don't remember them putting Brock Lesnar on, on a card that high. Maybe maybe they yeah, did. They did. On his first fight? I'm pretty sure they did. I'm not PT research that, but I think that was that was a lot more sure bet. And if they were trying to kind of channel that again, they struck out. I'm not going to look that up right now. Uh, a couple times. I mean, they, they should have quit when CM Punk fought his first fight. Yeah, I, I agree. He did not do well his first fight. So. Okay, moving on. Okay, so Andre Arlovsky versus Tay Tulasa? Yeah. Uh. Um, I think Arlovsky won this fight. I don't know what the judges were, were thinking. Arlovsky inflicted tons and tons of damage to Tai Tuivasa. Was that a split decision? Yeah. Yeah. So there was a couple split decisions that didn't go the way that we were thinking it would go. Um, I don't think that he won that fight either. Because yeah, I mean Tuivasa was more in the center of the ring, which um, it's weird because sometimes judges they. They make that a big deal. It's like cage control. Sometimes they don't, so you never know. But regarding damages, uh, Arlovsky was definitely the one that was putting out the punishment. Yeah. What did you think of uh, Taramasa drinking 
beer out of people's shoes. Um, that's his tradition, so... I mean... I don't know if it's tradition. <laughs> I think that's just what he does. He's gross. That's his... That was disgusting, but... I, I think that it has to do with... I mean, I hate to say it, but maybe it's just a business decision. He's a younger fighter. Orlovsky's been around for quite some time, even though I think he won that fight as well. Wait, you think that the judges made a business decision? in scoring in favor of Tyrosa or whatever his name is? Yeah, I think there's there's some fights where you can say like, well, that guy's maybe the more exciting fighter or the more up and coming. So they almost give him a little bit little bit more credit. I think that happened this one. Because he got a he got a really big showing. So oh gosh, but we're talking about like mixed martial arts or, or, or boxing, how many times have we seen that? Well the judges are supposed to be independent, so mm -hmm. from the UFC itself. Right, but we'll, I mean, we've seen it a couple times where that, that hasn't happened. And, I mean, even, even the last fight, which I'm sure we'll get to, you can argue that that was, that was BS, that that shouldn't have gone the way, the decision shouldn't have gone that way. Okay, we'll move on to Holly Holm and uh, Megan Anderson. Oh. Uh, or Megan, I'm not sure how they pronounce it. Megan. Megan. Sure. I'm a big Holly Holm fan because she defeated Ronda Rousey a long time ago and she's a really nice person in real life she gives good interviews she's really friendly with MMA media she's really friendly with fans and she seems to understand the big picture of it all so I I enjoy her as a person whatever that means um, and I think uh, her fight plan was smart this time I'm not sure if she thought of that ahead of time or it was just instinct, but um, Megan Anderson landed a lot of a few blows at the beginning that um, kind of woke Holly home up, and then she just decided to utilize her wrestling and get the fight to the ground and um, try to take advantage, take away uh, Megan Anderson's long-limbed advantage, the reach advantage. I think during the uh, after the fight was over. I want to say that Joe Rogan had asked if that was a game plan to take to the ground. And she might have mentioned something about, like, initially it wasn't that, but based off of what she was, the card that she was dealt, and what Anderson, Megan Anderson, was using mm -hmm. is her reach. I mean, she had incredibly long legs. Mm -hmm. So she was definitely using them. And I think Holly Holm recognized that and decided, screw that, I'm not going to sit here and get kicked. So I'm going to take it to the ground. So her game plan. And I think a lot of it has to do with their coaching. Jackson Wink is one of the best fight camps out there. So to, to, to go back to what you were saying about, about her personality, I think I, I also enjoy watching her fight and, and listening to her because she seems like she gets it. She's at, she seems like she's having a good time. Doesn't seem like uh, too full of herself. And she's taking some big losses as well, too. I mean, she only had the, the belt one time, right? After, after Ronda Rousey, she, she lost the following fight. Yeah, to Misha Tate. So, I mean, she didn't have the belt for, for a long period of time, but she seems like she really cares, and she seems like she really enjoys, enjoys fighting, but I enjoyed that fight. It, it was, strategically, I think that for Holly Holm, it was, it was good for her, but you would think, I, I, I thought that that girl was going to give her a lot of trouble based off of her length, yeah. and she didn't let her use her, her length because she took her to the ground. Leslie? I, I'm just incredibly impressed by Holly Holm. Um, I, just, I think it's important to recognize that she's uh, what, 16, 16 times, or is it 16 times? 
like kickboxing yeah. champion. She's in incredible shape. She's 36 years old, and uh, she's just a phenomenal fighter. So, I, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I think in the future we're going to have Holm versus... Not Cyborg again. Uh, who's the 135 champion? Yes, Nunes. No, so that's good because she's the top contender at 135 and at 145. So she has her choice which route she wants to go. So we'll see what happens. Of course, the Nunes Cyborg fight that may or may not happen. That's always also going to be very exciting. Next fight was Colby Covington, Covington versus Rafael dos Anjos. Or as Kobe says, dos nachos. Dos nachos. <laughs> I can't stand. Kobe. He's such a shit talker. He's a... I'm a fan of Kobe's. He comes from the uh, Chael Sonnen camp of uh, talking smack. He learned from Chael Sonnen a lot of the uh, smack talking ways to get yourself higher into the promotions. And um, if you look at his resume, you know he he, did, he didn't have like a Tony Ferguson type resume where he beat up everyone. Um, he had very few significant wins, and then. Because of his mouth, he was able to reach uh, Rafael Dos Anjos. Anjos. It was a very exciting fight, and I'm glad Kobe Covington utilized his wrestling, his cardio. He pushed the pace, and Rafael Dos Anjos was not able to handle that. At the end, the frequent energy of Covington was what won him the fight. Yeah, it was a close fight. I think I could have gone either way. I think you'd have an argument for, for either ways. I thought it was pretty close. That was not close. It was. I thought it was pretty close. Yeah, it was pretty close. Yeah. But I, I don't have, you know, I'm not sad that that uh, Dos Anjos lost or anything like that. I think that, it, I'm just saying it was close. Split decision, right? It went no, that was a majority. It should have been a split decision. Majority Kobe. He won, he backed, he backed it up. I mean, he backed all that shit talking up, and he, he's got the belt now. I just don't appreciate fighters who bring attention to themselves by talking or shit talking. I, I don't want to use that word, but there, I, I get it's an effective strategy to bring attention to yourself and to draw in viewers, but it's not a strategy that I respect. I think. Fighters like uh, George St. Pierre, who are very humble, or like Holly Holmes, she's very humble, and she they bring attention to themselves because they're good fighters, and they showcase that in the cage, and you can tell that they're good fighters, and they're constantly working on their um, on their on their skills and their technique, and that's what really resonates with me, and that's one of the reasons why I like Robert Whitaker. I think he's a very but, you also have to have like the good and the good guy and the bad guy sometimes. Like that, I get that it. It's, for, it's for an effective good. strategy to draw in viewers, but I, I don't, I don't. Like next time he that. fights again, you're gonna want to watch it because yeah, you're gonna I'm, wait for him to get knocked out. Like you're, you're gonna be rooting for that. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not. I, I've said it's an effective strategy. Which I don't think is gonna be an exciting it. fight with uh, Tyrone Woodley. Yeah, I mean suddenly. Suddenly everyone's a, t a Tyron Woodley fan because everyone hates Kobe. So, yeah, it's an effective strategy because no one's going to go buy a Tyron Woodley fight by, by himself. But now that he's fighting someone sure. like Kobe, mm -hmm. it's gonna, that's going to be a really big card now. Well, otherwise, it's just going to be like a 
a snooze fest like um, his previous fights. So I'm excited. Which, um, speaking of Robert Whittaker, he fought uh, Mr. Immigrant Mentality, um, Yoel Romero. And it was a very exciting fight. Should have been a draw. Uh, I'm really sad that Yoel lost. Um, I'm a big fan of his. I thought uh, he had some very significant strikes. He knocked down Robert Whittaker twice. But at the end, Whittaker was able to escape. Especially in the fifth round, um, things were looking shaky for Whitaker, but um, he survived on the ground when Yoel tried to pound him. But, um, but yeah. he didn't do anything the first two rounds. It was shocking that he wasn't doing anything. And I know that they were commenting on the fact that he tried to lose weight in such a short amount of time, and that obviously affected him, uh, affected his performance. and was the main reason why he wasn't doing anything those first two rounds. So, it's, I mean, don't, don't you think that obviously played a role in the decision? Yeah, I mean, Yoel's strategy, he likes to low guys to sleep, because, um, you know, he's not, he's kind of like um, Floyd Mayweather in that manner. He kind of uh, takes things easy, and then, and then, uh, yeah. I disagree with you. The first fight with Robert Whitaker, he was the one. He was the aggressor, and that's the reason why he. Uh, but he, he ran got out tired, of. Tired, right? And he got tired, and that's why he he couldn't keep fighting at that level. Uh, so then, don't you think that that would have been maybe a, a strategy of his to like, I'm not going to use all my energy right now. I'm just going to kind of figure things out because it doesn't remember it's a five round mm -hmm. fight as well too so mm -hmm. I think he was trying to conserve some energy. No, but I think what Peter was trying to say was that that has been his ongoing strategy well, but I feel like he learned from his past fight with Whitaker and adapted and changed things up and could possibly be a reason why he didn't do anything in the first two rounds or it could be the fact that he tried to cut weight in such a short amount of time that affected his hydration levels his electrolytes and everything, so that could also be a reason. It could. But, um... It was a great fight. Don't get me wrong, it was, it was an amazing fight, and I hope they do it again. Um, I hope they don't do it again, and it's time to move on from this saga between these two guys. Um, you know, I, I want Yoel to have some new challenges, and, uh... But what better challenge, though? I mean, if he wins that fight, he gets the belt. Yeah, but the problem is Whitaker won. It's 2-0 right now. You can't have a third fight. I, I just wish that it would have been a draw. I mean, it should have been a draw. I, I agree I with like that, but... Um, I don't like the scoring at all. And, and they're supposed to have those new rules, or that that particular place Chicago had. They could have had a 10-8 round, and they should have had a 10-8 round. Yeah, so. yeah, and that, that makes sense, too. Like, the third round. What can you do? Um, overall, it was a fun card. Shout out to Carla Esparza. Yeah, do you want to um, have a minute and kind of talk about that fight? I didn't get to watch it. Yeah, um, so uh, Carla Esparza fought Claudia Gadelia, and um, it was a very close fight. Carla Esparza, contrary to, because um, she has a wrestling background, so you'd expect that she'd throw a lot of uh, wrestling type moves. But she was actually a very effective boxer, and she had landed a lot of um, big, big, big uh, hits.
hits on Claudia. Claudia's face was all effed up. And then uh, Carla's face was fine. But Claudia had a, uh, on the second round, Claudia had some takedowns. Um, so Carla spent a lot of the second round on her back. And then um, regarding the first round, they went back and forth regarding taking each other down. So I don't know how the judges uh, judged that. But it was a split decision as well. On the third round, Carla throws some takedown action. And then Carla reversed and then started pounding at Claudia's face, then the bell rang, so... Oh yeah, and then afterwards, because it was a split decision, when Joe Rogan was interviewing Claudia, the fans just booed the entire time, because they disagreed with the decision. Um, and then Joe Rogan, you know, after a while in the interview, he told the fans, let's give a round for Claudia. She wasn't the one that made the decision. She, she just survived a very tough fight. So then there was some, uh, some reluctant applause from the audience. But overall, the audience, as well as people, um, I was at Dave and Buster's. People at Dave and Buster's also thought Carla won. I thought Carla won. Um, obviously, I'm a fan of Carla's because she's so pretty. And she's, uh, she, she's, uh, she has a cool personality. She's from Orange County, all that. So she's hey, a cool person. Why cookie monster? Um, she likes cookies. That's it? Yeah. Oh, well, her outfit, she used to have, like, some cookie-related stuff um, back in the day when you could choose outfits, but now it's those ugly Reebok outfits that have the, uh, the uh, donut powder. <laughs> yeah, the dirty ones. It looks like there's donut stains on them. Any predictions for the next fight, DC versus um, I, uh, I think Daniel Cormier will prevail. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, I'm actually a fan of DC, you know. But you weren't. I was not, but okay. he's one of the coaches for the Ultimate Fighter, and he is a really good coach. So, I'm impressed. Yeah, he's a good dude. He's a nice dude. So, we'll see. But that should be a good fight. Okay, and finally, um... Leslie wants to talk about some current events, so take it away. Yes, so wanted to talk about a very... Um, sorry. <laughs> what? Continue. Okay. Something that happened this week, which was the death of Anthony Bourdain. Um, I heard about it because Frank sent me a message and I thought he was joking until I looked it up and sure enough, yes, he had committed suicide and I was really, really sad. Frank and I have enjoyed watching his shows, uh, like, like Parts Unknown on CNN. I'm sure most people are familiar with Anthony Bourdain, but he was trained as a culinary chef, then was given his own show, and he really became like a, like a journalist. Like it, it went from focusing on food to focusing on the, the politics of the country and bringing um, awareness. awareness to certain, you know, certain issues that are going on. And yeah, we were just huge fans. So it was really sad to hear that he had committed suicide because you would think someone with all that success would be you know, wouldn't 
wouldn't want to kill themselves, and that was really unfortunate. Yeah, it bummed me out quite a bit because we've shared so many times where we're you know, going through Netflix or trying to decide what to watch, and it wasn't uncommon for us to just go back to Anthony Bourdain and watch his shows because it was always so entertaining. And as two people that love to travel, we'd always look at him and, like, and almost pretend like, oh, I'd love to go there. I, I wonder what that place is like. And he seemed just like to have the perfect job. He got to go eat the best food, go to all these different places, get to drink all the time. It just, mm -hmm. it just seemed like this guy has it all. And I like that he didn't sugarcoat anything. No, it was so real. Like these other shows, like on the Travel Channel, they sugarcoat a lot of things. And he was just like real and raw. And that's what I think a lot of people resonated with him. And that was what contributed to the success of his show was because of that realness and rawness that he brought to it. Um, so you just never know. You mm -hmm. never know what somebody's going through. And you think that they, they may have everything pretty good in their life. And then for whatever reason, they make that decision that they want to end it all. Yeah. And I wonder if it was just a moment of weakness and he, I don't know, I wonder like how things could have been different, how he reached out to someone or, you know, talked to someone about it. And I think that, that, that we should have a real conversation about mental health. A lot of people feel ashamed for talking about, you know, struggles that they have, like struggles with depression, because people, you know, they feel like people are going to think that they're crazy, or, you know, that they're, I don't know, whatever. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, crazy. <laughs> Which we just said. <laughs> oh, um, but I know culturally, like, I, so I'm Hispanic, and I know that that's something that you don't talk about because people will automatically label you as crazy and so that's why people don't want to talk about mental health but it should be something that we talk about just like physical health we should also be talking about mental health as well and I hope that this you know one of the things that comes out of this is that more people are going to be talking about mental health and and what we can do about it instead of shying away from the conversation and well, I don't feel I'm qualified to talk a lot about um, suicide, mental health, all this kind of stuff. Um, but like a lot of people, I've uh, had my down times in life. And it's weird because people always say, oh, yeah, you need to reach out. But then when you're depressed, you don't want to reach out to, to another person. So it's, it's, you know, there's a balance. You know, I, I don't feel... I, I, I guess I can relate. I cannot relate, but, um, you know, I enjoy life, so I can Especially, you know, you see someone, a celebrity, he gets to travel all over the place. He writes a lot of books. I didn't even know what his show was um, a long time ago. I just randomly, like, bought his book. Um, it was Medium Raw, his second book, and, and all he talked about was, like, drug use, being in New York as a chef, all this kind of crazy stuff, and I was like, who the F is this guy? And then... Um, because I thought it was like, there was going to be more stuff regarding cooking. But um, yeah, it turns out he's a cool dude. He lived a very cool lifestyle, supposedly. Um, he had a daughter really late in life. His daughter is only 11 years old. Um, and then his wife at the time said he had old sperm. Um, so, I mean, it gives hope, especially uh, for, for myself, that... Uh, 
you know, someday I'll have a daughter and a son or whatever. Not, not even close to that age. So, um, yeah, I, I don't want to make this about me, but I'm not qualified to talk about suicide, so. Well, none of us are going to be qualified to talk about that, but I think that it's okay to talk about it. I, I mean, it's, it's okay. You don't have to be qualified to talk about it, and it's okay to reach out for help. Yeah, and everybody goes through their ups and downs, and being close to your friends, you kind of have to realize and, and, and check up on, on your friends at times. And you're right, it's, you know, it's easy to say, well, when you're feeling down, talk to somebody. But if you've ever gone through that experience when you're feeling down, that's the last thing you want to do is really talk to somebody. But I think it's important once you get over that, that period of time is to kind of share that experience. And well, yeah, you figure out, like, it's, it's, it's common. It's common with, with, with other people to, to go through that experience. Um, you know, I had something recently where I hurt my back and I wasn't, I, I was doing really well. Physically, I was doing really well. I was working out um, quite a bit. And then all of a sudden, I hurt my back, and I wasn't able to compete in uh, competition that I was preparing for, and that really bummed me out uh, for quite some time. And again, I've been, you know, being part of through sports, you, you get injured, but for some reason, this particular time like really got to me, um, and it probably lasted about two months, like that I was just down and I wasn't motivated to get back to working out, um, and I can really pinpoint uh, what it was, but. It was it was one of those few experiences where, where I really felt down. Yeah, it's it's weird because they say that when you work out it makes you feel better, but then you don't want to work out, so it's a kind of a circular type of thing where you're just stuck. Well, I think you have to, in terms of working out, I think you have to find things that you enjoy doing. Yeah. A lot of people will do things like go to the gym. And it's boring, or it can be boring if it's not something that you enjoy doing. So you have to explore and figure out what you enjoy. And it doesn't have to be strenuous. It doesn't have to be CrossFit. It can be a hike. It could be just walking. Whatever feels good. It doesn't, you know, so explore and, you know, figure out what you enjoy doing. Yeah, and that's sometimes just that right there is, is tough for people to get through that. Because, again, they don't want to challenge themselves and they don't want to try something new that they might fail at or they might not even like. Mm -hmm. So that, that is, um, it's tough. And you're right, none of us are qualified to talk about it. Um, but I, but I think the fact that you're talking about your experience with depression while you had your injury helps. Because that way people are like, oh, you know, he's, he's talking about it. And I felt similarly, so it, it um, helps people have this conversation about, you know, their mental well-being. So just you talking about your own experience is helpful. And I don't think, you know, you don't have to be a qualified person to talk about your own experience. And actually people learn more from other people who are going through the same thing. Because a professional can only give you so much advice, but if the person doesn't feel like that person, like, you know, it's going through the same thing that they are, It's it only helps so much. So I, that's why I think it's important for us to have these conversations so that we bring awareness and people feel comfortable having these conversations. You're right. Talk to your friends. <laughs> Is there any final thoughts you'd like to say, Leslie, before we close up shop for another week? Um,
I just, no. Um, I think, um, to a more light subject, um, I enjoy going to pool parties. More. Thankfully, um, it's a pool party. Which uh, which pool party did you go to? Uh, In Vegas? No, 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 no. There's because uh, it's the summertime, so the uh, salsa promoters, salsa bachata promoters, they have certain uh, poolside events. So they had a bachata and chill party in Fontana <laughs> on Sunday. And it was in a pool. Um, so it was poolside. You dance and then you yeah. jump in and then there's a jacuzzi and all that stuff. Um, yeah, so. You know, I thought I had a connection with some girls or whatever. Some women, excuse me. I don't know why I always see girls. And then, you know, so we... So, like, a few women or a... A few, a couple. And then, yeah. Then, then afterwards, um, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but uh, it's... Uh, I always go to these with so much hope, and then it's like, oh, yeah, we have a connection, and then it turns out... I thought we had a connection, but then there wasn't a connection. So uh, I, I can't tell myself um, regarding my feelings anymore if they're on par or not. So it's it's a difficult situation, but I enjoy going to the pool parties. So uh, shout out to Edwin for throwing out, throwing good pool parties, good promotions. IU Social, it's a, it's a good thing. He's a good dude. Don't worry, PT. Keep putting yourself out there. It'll happen when you least expect it. What made you think that there was an Um, I don't know. Well, it depends, like how fast they text you back, all that kind of stuff. So we'll see. Be patient. Also, there's the whole juggling. You know, if uh, you want to approach this as a business prospect versus a personal prospect, when you first talk to them, you don't know which they are. You know, if they're single or not single, whatever. So. Yeah, I need to develop more of that, uh, how to approach type of dialogue. Oh, she just texted me, but, <laughs> but, um, but it's, it's really boring. But, uh, ask them if, uh, if they're single or not. Why did you just toss the phone? Why did okay, she text okay, you? We're going to edit this out. We're going to edit this out. Um, Why are you yelling? But uh, I just want to bring levity to the situation and I'm just going to... Why are you going to edit this out? Give the people what they want. PC. I'm just going to say that it's a, you know, I'm learning on the job obviously to balance uh, business prospecting with uh, prospecting in my personal life. So it's it's a learning process but it's fun and I'm excited that there's promoters out there that put such great events. So shout out to Edwin, IE Social. Make sure to go to the next one. If you guys have any real estate needs, please give me a call or contact me. Um, I am here to help you achieve your real estate goals. Anyways, thank you. Enjoy your week, and we're going to have... Okay, everyone, that was the podcast for today, and thank you for listening. Have a good one. Bye.